Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we're here with Comic Genie Kim. How the hell are you? Hi, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And I know I follow you online. You're Gene Kim Comedy on Instagram. And you're so yes. funny that you don't need a Twitter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. But, but, yeah, you do a weekly comedy show. And it looks like you've been doing it for a while. It's this uh, The Gladys. Here, let me, let me get the perfect name here. Uh, the Gladys Comedy Party. And you do that every week. Wow, that's a, that's a big booking commitment to book a weekly show. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, it is a bit of a commitment, but we were doing the show at the Comic Strip Live uh, in uh, the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Yeah. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, um, we moved the show online and we've been doing it uh, every Wednesday now for the past six months. Wow. Uh, and we're a regular group of comics that perform, you know, have been performing together. Uh, for the past uh, couple years, few years, and um, and and in some ways it's become like our lifeline. You know, everybody really looks forward to it, seeing each other, and then we also get to improve and develop our comedy chops. So it's actually been a lifesaver in some ways. And that's going to be great for the that's going to be great for the comic strip because when comedy opens back up and the occupancy rate moves up, I think uh, you know comic strip's going to be well positioned because it kept all its regular comics sharp. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and tell me, tell me about your journey a little bit, because I know you came from the Midwest and you went to a big time school for broadcast journalism, but here you are instead, you're kicking ass uh, doing stand-up comedy for years in New York City. Yes, well, thank you. Um, I, I actually was born in Seoul, South Korea, moved to Ohio when I was two years old wow. and grew up there, um, you know, all of my, you know, life until I went to college. So I went to uh, the Ohio State University in my hometown, Columbus, Ohio. Um, and Ohio State is the largest uh, public university in the country, like uh, 55,000 students. Um, wow. Uh, well, including all of their branches. And um, yeah, and I studied broadcast journalism and political science. I uh, thought I was gonna become a political correspondent but then kind of used to uh, politics and journalism to go into um, uh, becoming a political lobbyist. So, you know, I get to still use all my skill sets and it even comes in handy in stand-up, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, so, so first of all, how long did you, you know, are you still a New York City or New York State lobbyist or how long did you do that before you transitioned into making people laugh um, as, as part of your, your night job? Um, well, I, I, I mean, I moved to New York City 20 years ago, and I tried out stand-up comedy by taking uh, stand-up comedy classes at the American Comedy Institute, at the Comic Strip Live, at, uh, you know, Gotham. So I've taken a lot of stand-up comedy classes. And 20 years ago, the landscape for stand-up was a little different than it is now. Um, it wasn't as opening uh, it wasn't as welcoming, I should say, uh, to women and um, people of color. Um, so I kind of did it for a year 
And then I said, you know, I better go and get a real job because, you know, I didn't have family living here where I could like, bum off their couch. It didn't pay the bills back in the day, huh? It barely yeah. pays the bills now, probably. Um, no, it doesn't pay the bills, but, you know, it, um, you know, hopefully one day. And, um, yeah, so I took a break, um, yeah, after doing it for a year. Um, and... Um, and then recently, probably about four years ago, um, I came back to it because, you know, the time was right. I always wanted to come back to it on my own terms. And um, I was working as a political lobbyist for about 15 years. And two years ago, I kind of went out on my own. So I had a little more flexibility. Wow. So you went out on your own as a lobbyist? Yes. Wow. So, that's some that you have some political chops. And so now you're. Uh, your network and your political tools are just so sharp that you can work on your own and maybe set your hours so that you can uh, party all night at the comic strip, huh? Make people laugh. Yeah, absolutely. That was a point. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, were you, uh, it sounds like the, the last thing you probably want to talk about on stage is politics because, you know, you kind of do that for a living, but, you know, are you using your savvy political uh, knowledge to, I don't have a unique take on all these events that are coming fast and furious during this election season? Um, yeah, I mean, before I was very, uh, you know, I did shy away from uh, doing anything political, especially New York City uh, politics, because I do lobby mostly New York politicians. Okay. Um, but, you know, but I have started talking about it a little bit because I'm freelancing now. And, um, you know, and I never talked about my clients. Um, but, um, but definitely, I think, you know, my journalism training and my political training, I think in um, ways I don't realize sometimes really comes in handy when I do stand up because I do have a, you know, a breadth of experience and uh, a different perspective coming from the Midwest, you know, working in politics and even my journalism training, um, I think helps me communicate and articulate things, um, you know, sometimes better and differently. Yeah, yeah, even, I remember reading back in the day, all these journal, you know, even in journalism class, the writing was entirely different. You had to be very punchy and they were very short paragraphs that slowly reveal information as you go on and um, communicate simply, of course. And so, I mean, when developing a stand-up act, you know, is that kind of what you do about your background? You kind of slowly reveal, you know, the different layers of Jeannie Kim? <laughs> yes, uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the journalism training, you know, you always have to include who, what, when, where, yes. um, and, and how. So I think that always comes into my mind when I think about how I need to communicate my bit. Um, and, and then I do, um, and, and absolutely, broadcast journalism is all about um, punchy writing. And I remember when I was in school, journalism was actually taken very seriously, <laughs> which is, you know, mind boggling right now. Um, but, you know, I had to take journalism ethics. I had to take journalism law. We had long discussions in class about objectivity and journalism, all of, all of which now I think back on it, I go, wow, 
Yeah, you know? it's, it's more like comment. It's more like commentary now. And I guess nowadays, you know, with the polar, you know, one news site will have the right and one news site will have the left. But it's almost like a stand up like it's they're giving people the, the news through their lens. And so, like, you know, I suppose maybe Jeannie Kim has had to kind of relax the journalism standards to to do this stuff on stage. But at the same time, you kind of are consistent with what's going on now in that anything that comes out of your mouth is going to be distinctly Jeannie Kim, right? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, over the years of, you know, doing it, I've become more, um, you know, you know, feel like uh, more free with my words, more uncensored, because being a lobbyist, you're not supposed to have uh, opinions, you know, you're just really selling your clients opinions and uh, stories. Um, so, um, yeah, so kind of breaking out of that, and even my background as a Korean, because everything's very insular and family oriented. So I think having that background um, really kind of makes you think about every single thing you're going to say. But mm -hmm. now, as I've been, you know, doing comedy uh, a lot more regularly, I, I feel, you know, like I could just be more myself on stage. And, um, and even, I never thought about what I did as lobbying as stand-up, but I would stand on city hall steps and try to get uh, politicians' attentions by being <laughs> quippy, yeah. by saying something like, a little funny, but just very naturally, you know, but it, which is kind of what you do for stand up, but I never really thought about it back then. <laughs> so, oh, there's like, you know, there's like a ton of lobbyists, there's a ton of other politicians, other people trying to grab the politicians' attention. And I always had to find like a quick way to grab their attention in 30 seconds. And a lot of times it would be by saying something funny or quippy. Wow. Because that, that makes you memorable. And is that the same thing? Like, you know, now with these outdoor comedy shows, sometimes they're on steps of these big, beautiful buildings like museums or whatever that can re resemble the backdrop that is City Hall. Like, you know, are you in the same way that you're doing so with politicians? Are you cognizant of the fact that people's attention spans will really make a snap judgment about Jeannie Kim within the first couple jokes and you make sure that your openers are that much better? Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, when we sent out videos for uh, broadcast journalism, I mean, we were always taught that, you know, within the first 30 seconds, um, if you're not able to grab their attention, um, they're looking at the next tape. So, yeah. um, so if you're not able to grab their attention in one way or another in the first 30 seconds, the rest of your tape is uh, pretty much a waste of time. So, um, so that has that does translate a lot to how comedy is. You have to have a strong A laugh opener. Um, I mean, on stage, you know, you also have to have a strong closer. And if you don't have all A laughs, you can try out some of your newer stuff in the middle. But um, yeah, but it is a similar formula. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, are you finding out that, you know, your experience back in the day where the scene wasn't as open to maybe women of color, like, is that changing quite a bit? Is, is comic strip great for that? Or are you finding a welcoming scene in, in places like Brooklyn? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, 20 years ago, I was literally doing open mics and there would be 50 white guys at me. Um, and sometimes there would be like one other woman but not often. And definitely, I don't remember any people of color on the open mic scene. 
Um, this was 20 years ago. Now the landscape is much, much different and better. Um, even though stand-up is still, uh, you know, um, more male-dominated, it's there's still so much more diversity, and um, you know, and, and more, you know, and and in the old days, people didn't really expect women to be funny, and they found it <laughs> kind of, uh, unnatural when a woman would tell jokes because <laughs> people had it in their heads that you know, uh, men are the, um, the joke tellers, like, you know, in, like in your family, like yeah. it would be dad or the uncles telling the jokes and the women are supposed to kind of listen and, you know, laugh. <laughs> so, so I think like there were a lot of factors that made, um, you know, made people think that, you know, women weren't natural joke tellers. And so that took uh, some time to, to get used to. And I think social media has changed that a lot too, because now there's different venues, there's different outlets um, to share jokes. Where in the old days, you really had to go through Johnny Carson. He was uh, the only gatekeeper to yeah. become a famous stand-up. Yeah. And nowadays there's some, you know, great, great New York City comedians. And I thought, you know, all my former guests are just hilarious on Twitter. So I'm always retweeting. Um, is there is there things in your act today that you wouldn't have talked about 20 years ago when you were when the room was full of of men open micers um that's a good question um i always talked about my mom um because i always thought that she was the funniest person that i knew uh, <laughs> growing up you know we didn't have all those streaming services or the internet so i really like you know didn't have a ton of uh, comic role models, but my mom was hysterical and uh, my grandma was hysterical. Um, so I always talked about uh, them. And at um, one time, even in the open mic room, one of the, the guys who were, you know, they all had like the same three topics that they talk about, like masturbating, pot smoking, um, how they couldn't get laid. And then I would get on stage after hearing like, you know, uh, a whole lineup of them and start doing mom impressions. And one guy came and said, you know, there's already a Korean woman doing uh, mom impressions. <laughs> and I said, who? Are they here in the room? There's and 20, 20 of you guys talking about exactly the same thing. And you have the temerity to come up to me and tell me I'm doing something somebody else is doing. Yeah. And I looked. <laughs> The roof to see. I go, where is she? And <laughs> they met Margaret Cho. <laughs> in the room. I was like, so, um, yeah, so it, you know, so it was interesting, but I, I mean, I still talk about my mom now, but you know, it's developed more. And I talk about my, um, my fiance, who's a Italian and, uh, and it has a very strong New York accent. So there's a ton of comedy that comes from living with uh, who I call the Guido. And, um, you know, and, but I branched out a lot. You know, I talked about growing up Korean, which was always, you know, just being one of the few Asians in um, my town in Ohio. It was, um, you know, it, it, a lot of times it was very difficult because people didn't understand like, anything about Korean food. 
which has now become kind of trendy and, you know, I'm in New York City, so it's different. But, you know, all of these things that I had to suppress and keep to myself and pretend I ate stovetop stuffing and that I didn't eat like, you know, kimchi. Um, now I'm talking about it all. So in a lot of ways, it's uh, very, you know, it's very freeing to be able to talk about it. Oh, good. And, and I imagine that um, people, you know, firing up, let me get the name perfectly correctly, Gladys Comedy Party uh, Weekly. First of all, when's the next show? But can they expect other great female comedians like you or people of color? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have a very di diverse show, a lot of women, a lot of funny women, but a lot of just funny comics, period. Um, Gladys, I, I think it was about three years ago that I met her. And um, she's a comedy legend in New York, very low key, but she's, she's very, um, her style is like, you know, tough love um, and being, um, you know, she'll tell you that you need to fix your hair, that you need to, you know, wear a nicer shirt. Uh, and, it, but she really focuses on uh, helping you become more organic on stage and bringing out who you are. Good. Uh, versus like just a joke structure and how to, you know, write a joke. Um, and and all she's had people like Jim Gaffigan and Zach Gaffinacolis, uh, a ton of people who have been under her uh, tutelage uh, who have become successful. So everybody in our group has, you know, I've been so proud of everybody. They're all improving every week is getting funnier and developing their chops. So yeah, we have this show every Wednesday, 8 p.m. And um, it's about a two hour show. And at the end of the show, she uh, always asks a question to the audience and the comics, you know, like, uh, what was your worst dating experience? Um, you know, what's your guilty pleasure? And, you know, we get some interesting answers out okay. of it. Well, I'm so glad that there, there's people like that, you know, gatekeepers who are encouraging people to be organic because there's only one Jeannie Kim. And of course, we follow her at Jeannie Kim, Jean Kim Comedy on, on Instagram. So Jeannie Kim, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much, Brian.